Am I making any sense? So I'm very happy to have with me today on Am I Making Sense, a very hilarious performer. You can catch him prior to the plague. You can catch him at multiple different Bay Area and Los Angeles comedy clubs. Brian Crow, thank you, Brian, for joining Hello. me. Hello, actually, you can, you can still catch me there. I just go and I show up and I stand out front and I knock on the door and go, <laughs> we're going yet? We go, please? So this is no, dating myself, fine. but you'll probably remember this commercial. There was a Mervyn's commercial. Yes. I think it was open, in the 80s. Open, open, open. Open. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's us comics now looking at the comedy clubs. Totally. So we bumped into each other uh, a few times at different uh, clubs and open mics, but we never had a chance to chat. And I was noticing on your feed uh, a week or two ago, I don't know, time is all blending together, but you also had a fairly significant stint as a musician. Yeah. So before we get into the comedy stuff, can you give me a little bit of a background on you and performing as obviously guitarist, you got the guitar in the background, a vocalist. Uh, so on and so forth. Well, so um, uh, I actually I started um, playing, and some of this is actually beginning to seep its way into my stand-up act. I actually started uh, playing music up here in the Bay Area uh, way back in you know like mid to late '80s. Okay. So I started uh, you know the big hair and the makeup and all that shit. Yeah. And I was like uh, uh, you know playing in clubs when I was still in high school, and uh, so I ended up I was in a band called Castle Black for a while. Then we did a uh, we did, uh, made some uh, mildly significant damage, uh, broke up at one point, regrouped, actually uh, did a reunion gig a couple of years ago. We just released that CD. Yes, it's a CD because my singer's a dick and won't let us stream it. Oh, um, no. Yeah. Um, so, singers, uh, we, could do, we could do a whole podcast on singers. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we could shorten it with a gun. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Where did all the singers go? I don't know, but I'm happier. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I would, so I was up here in the Bay Area doing that stuff. I actually took lessons from Joe Satriani for a brief period of time. Nice. Um, moved down to LA, uh, went to GIT, studied music there for a year, um, and, you know, played in a lot of different bands down there. Um, did some records that all did nothing. Yeah. Um, it was in a band called Pork. You might have seen the, uh, the videos that I did yep. for that really intentionally silly band. And then there was um, one was actually a performance from, uh, from music school where uh, we covered uh, Frank Zappa's uh, Broken Hearts are for Assholes. Yeah. Because that was a good time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, just a, a lot of different, a lot of different recording, different bands, uh, a lot of releases, did some touring. I was in a band called Zero One for a while with, uh, with uh, the comedian Hal Sparks. We did some oh. touring around the country release some stuff overseas and you know it was always you know we were always that close right. uh, but you know bad timing bad decisions bad choices um you know just nothing ever totally came to pass but uh you know i still um uh, i've actually been using this downtime as uh, finally tackling you know my my songwriting software and i've been recording i'm actually working on some new stuff right now nice what kind of software yeah. are you using uh, i'm using logic logic okay I logic. I just picked up uh, Easy Drummer too. Uh, programming d drums has been the bane of my existence for the yeah. last two weeks. It's just been horrible. Oh, the you know it's easy. Or I should say, so the access to the technology to quote unquote studio technology has gotten so easy. But then learning how to work it all, yeah, it's, it's like mind numbing because I'm I'm probably in a similar boat as you. I didn't have nearly the resume that you have with music, but I've always been kind of a hobbyist. Um, in music and the the quote-unquote downtime although it's not turning out to be too much downtime for me um, but the downtime I've been trying to download different um, DAWs mm -hmm. to see how to record my guitar and get things like drums make my own um, drum yeah. beats but wow man the learning curve is so steep across the board on all these things that I'm thinking I, I'm almost take taking away where I'm at as a quote-unquote musician I, I might be taking away too much time just playing. Just shut up and grab the guitar and play. Like, don't worry about all these recordings. Well, it's, an, it's an interesting thing in that um, definitely the shut up and play thing is important. Yeah. But what I'm, as I'm sort of learning and tackling each one of these, you know, sort of pieces of, of equipment, um, as soon as I've sort of figured out, gotten over the, sort of that, that learning curve hump, then it becomes really, really simple. And it, and it then enables you to 
shut up and play, but then actually capture it and record it and do something with it. And so that is, so, you know, it's just, it's just like playing the guitar. You know, you got to pick it up, you got to practice and you have to do that rudimentary stuff where you're, you know, working with a metronome, you're learning the chords, you're practicing your scales, you're learning all of those rudimentary things so that you can sort of then put them aside and then the playing starts to come out. So it's the same thing with the technology. Yeah. So for for drums, easy drummer two is just the coolest thing ever. It's like a hundred bucks. And the, the, all the sounds were like recorded in great studios, by okay. great players, great mics. And the stuff has, it's really easy to work with. And all the grooves are just, they feel, they feel natural. They don't feel like a machine. It's really cool. And it's fucking easy to learn. Huh. I, you know what? I should look into that because I have this pedal. I got something called a Beat Buddy. Okay. It's, um, a, it goes in your guitar board, but it has a lot of natural sounding uh drums but i know you can import and and export and move around the drum beats maybe i could do something on easy drummer and then import it into this probably into this pedal so i should definitely look into that yeah easy drummer is great and um i can actually i can take files and just drag it into something i'm working on in logic and then logic has a thing where if i've got something that's pre-recorded that i've recorded um it will actually take it'll sort of like match the time from the, like if the sample is at 120 BPM, but what I played was at 116, it'll adjust it and it's perfect. Yeah. Nice. Really cool. That's like quantize on steroids or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So you've, so you've been in the music industry, uh, in and out of the music industry for let's say two decades, three decades. Mm. What do you consider more fickle, the comedy world or the music world? Wow. That's a great question. Um, the music world. Okay. And it's changed so much in the last 10 years, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and people's taste in music. Um, I mean, funny is always going to be funny. Yeah. And there's always going to be a certain there. I mean, you're never going to be everything to everybody, but there's almost always going to be a market for whatever your, your sensibility is. But there's some, there are just people, you know, sometimes they're get, they get sick of hearing big guitars. They just do. You know, let's face it, guitar solos got played out, no pun intended. Yep. You know, but uh, um, a great joke. I, th- I think it's hard to play out having great jokes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I think that, do you think that the, uh, like we were talking about how easy it is to produce music now and how easy it is to host music with like SoundCloud and the dozens, oh, yeah. dozens of, do you think that's watered down the music industry to where, obviously I think this notion of a big star or a, a national uh, household name, I think those days are over for all performers. Um, but do you think it's kind of more so on the music side than on the comedy side? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, 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 there's benefits to it that I think are great. And there's a lot of things about it that I think have completely torpedoed um, a lot of great artists just in turn. I mean, if everybody can do it in their living room, that becomes, I mean, the better stuff is always out there and it can eventually get found, I think, but you just have to wade through a lot of crap. And, and to, to my way of thinking, a lot of people that are able to utilize the technology it, it doesn't become a matter of that they're playing an instrument. They're just hitting play. And to me, there's a big difference between utilizing technology and understanding about crafting a song as compared to going, I'm just going to take this chunk on the, that somebody else wrote, and I'm going to take this other chunk of something that somebody else wrote, and I'll put it together, and I'll say I wrote a song. Mm. Um, I, in fact, I have a joke about that where my son used to be into, um, used to love DJs and he said, dad, DJs are musicians too. They take everybody else's stuff and they mix it all together in a bowl. And I say, bullshit. That's like saying you're a farmer because you made a salad. Ah, yeah. I think, I think, uh, uh, DJ, I, I'm not going to take away their musician, but I'm going to say they're a curator of music. Yeah. More so than a creator of music. And I think the guys operating at high levels probably would agree with that. Um, I read or listened to the book by um, Questlove. He's uh-huh. a drummer and also... Yeah, no, I love Questlove. Yeah, Questlove. He's also a DJ. And that's how he kind of looks at it, is it's almost like the critical side music lover of him is the DJ. And he's really um, curating his playlists to have crescendos throughout the night right. and bring the crowd in and, and whatnot. But it's maybe... It's creative. It's definitely creative, but it's is de- it no, musicianship? 
I don't know. That's probably what's up for for debate there. Yeah, to, to me, and um, and it, and it's not that I don't like uh, like a guy like Quest who's yeah. doing something like that. I respect the hell out of that because yeah. there there is there is art and creativity to it. Yeah. And yes, I think it's different. That doesn't make you necessarily a musician. Right. But definitely is creative, and it takes talent to do it. Yeah. Because um, there's certainly people out there. Where you go that 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 was just noise in the background did nothing for me but the same thing can be said of a lot of bands i know i've been in some of them yes sometimes <laughs> bands are just especially if you're more on the punk rot you know hardcore side of things it's just a wall of noise and yeah. you could argue there isn't much if any musicianship in it there's just a, you could call it what you want to call it but it's like a, a, a motion coming out but it's not necessarily musical yeah it's um, it's, it's, it's attitude yeah there's a lot to be said for attitude too, though. So, you know. Yeah, 100%. Do you think what, have you taken stuff that you've learned in your days on stage in a band to stand-up comedy? Totally. Um, I mean, there's, to me, they've always, I mean, I started, actually, I, I used to be, I, I was into comedy and stand-up and theater before I started um, playing music. Um, was total, you know, total drama kid in high school and everything. Um, but right around the same time, I started playing guitar. And one of the things I began to notice really, really quickly was that um, you could get a girl with a guitar. You could not get a girl with a script. Um, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that started to take over. Well, not as a teenager. If you're, no. <laughs> if you're Brad Pitt or whatever. Yes, that <laughs> is totally <laughs> different. <laughs> you don't even need the script. You just yeah, need yeah, yeah. him. Yeah. Um, no, so like, so when I was in bands, um, used to play at a, a club up in San Francisco called The Stone. It's now a strip club, sort of still was back then. Um, <laughs> but like at Soundcheck, everybody else would normally be going check one, check two. And I was really, I was totally into comedy then. And I would start doing like Woody Allen bits or something like that. Oh, nice. That's what I would soundcheck with. Yeah. And uh, I, I knew it started getting effective when I would be in the middle of it and I would stop and I'd you know, go to the sound guy. Like, Are we good? He goes, oh, yeah, no, we're totally good. I just want to hear how it ends. Nice. Yeah. I'm like, oh. You know what's interesting? I, I had a podcast um, with Grant Lyon last week, and he started by telling um, he started by telling jokes on his soccer bus. He played yeah. soccer for UC Santa Cruz, and he would just take other people's jokes, you know, big acts, and go up there and do it. But that's where he kind of got the bug for doing right. comedy also. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hosted Senior Talent Night in, in high school, and... I actually, I just completely stole most of Gary Shandling's first appearance on The Tonight Show. Nice. Slightly changed it for a high school room, but just did that. When I went to GIT at graduation, everybody wanted to play at graduation. I convinced the staff to let me go up and do what I now know was 20 minutes of stand-up. I just thought I was going to go up and sort of like tell some stories and crack some jokes, but not, and it was like 20 fucking minutes. Nice. No clue. <laughs> just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's good. Wow. But, so, um, and you, so, but then also to get back to your question, so the where they sort of crossover performance wise um, is it, it's they're similar in how you look at and connect with an audience, how you might uh, how you pace your your song set is certainly might be similar as to how do you how you pace your stand up set and mm -hmm. how you sort of create those different rhythms and the peaks and valleys and all that stuff. So, um, and it's it where they're very similar is about how you connect with an audience. Cause that's, that's what it's all about no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's really critical. And that's what I'm, I'm finding in my journey too. So when we were, before we started and hit record, we were kind of chatting about how if you go to any open mic or even a showcase of comics anywhere in the Bay area and you just throw a dime in the air and it hits someone, most likely that someone is also a musician or a, a right. music hobbyist or whatever. And I've always been a fan. I kind of have old sensibility with comedy. I always was a fan of Phyllis Diller. Oh, yeah. And she is quoted as saying, if you can't dance to it, forget it. It's not comedy. She herself was a, <laughs> um, a pianist. She right. was a very accomplished uh, pianist. So I am, I'm really curious about this intersection of of music and comedy. And I almost think the two might be the same language, but different syntax. Like there's a rhythm to it. And I've even been listening to, um, uh, I'll, I'll be listening to people's albums or watching it on Amazon or Netflix or whatever. 
and, and I start kind of almost cueing into the laughter. Mm-hmm. And if you focus on laughter for all the top national touring comics, like there's a wave to it and it's very, very rhythmic. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is, do you think music gives people an advantage if they start in comedy? Or do you think the two, it's all coincidence that I'm, I'm finding this similarity? No, I mean, I think the similarities is definitely there. I mean, like I was saying, I, um, all of my, most of my comedian friends all want to be musicians if they're not already. And yeah. almost all of my musician friends want to be comedians if they're not already. Yeah. Um, so, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, well, some of it is just overall narcissism. Um, I got a little bit of that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think we all do. I don't think yeah, anybody yeah. gets into either one of those professions and goes, yeah, no, I really just want to be in the background. <laughs> some bassists yeah and i played with some that need to be in the back anyway, yeah um so um so i think there's an element of that because um i mean i can certainly say this as a guitar player and and, and sometimes vocalist where it's similar to stand-up is there's lots of look at me there's yeah. lots of look at me look at me look at me um and so i think there's the element of attention but then the other thing is they're similar in, in their craft in that, once again, it's about how you are creating some kind of an expression. Um, and rhythms certainly are, are tied in. I mean, Carlin talks about, or talked about his, um, he had his material worked out and there was a rhythm and there was almost a, a note-like quality to it. You know, yeah. he would say things and it, he would work the difference between bump it da da bump bump or bump it da da bump the joke would work with one rhythm and not with the other. Similar kind of thing when you're, you know, if you're writing a song, you're working on your chord progression, you're playing a solo, what is your, you know, how you use time and rhythm to create expression, I think the two intersect. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's one of the ways that they help each other. Yeah. It, it, and, and it really ultimately comes down to it is that, that it's very personal expression. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think when you, you were talking about the kind of look at me, not only do you have to demand attention of your audience, but then you can't crack under, oh, shit, everyone's looking at me. Right. You have to maintain that. I don't want to use the word rigidness, but people see the – obviously, if you're a drama guy, I mean, you know, when you, you're committed to a character, if you leave that character, everyone feels awkward, and it, the scene totally. is over, the moment's over. And I, I'm sure that's the uh, – probably – I mean, my experience in – being on stage in a band is nothing, you know, it's been a few, few gigs here and there, but um, yeah, I imagine if you're, if you're cracking, then it makes everyone uncomfortable. So you got to deliver what you're delivering and then just be confident in it. Yeah. You, I mean, when, when you're up there playing, you, you know, in the same way with comedy, you've got to, you have to own it. And I had a singer, I, I used to, when, when I was first, kind of learning how to sing and play and be in a band. I had a singer. I would, I wouldn't belt out my background parts because I had no confidence in them. Mm -hmm. was probably hitting bad notes. And we were on the way um, uh, home from rehearsal one night. He goes, look, I I see you backing off from the mic. He goes, look, be loud and be proud. He goes, it's better if you're wrong and you're strong. Ah, yeah. And I, and I went, put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. (laughs) And, and totally true. So it's like, it's, it, it, it really gets to, you've got to, you have to completely commit to it. And if it flies off the rails, it flies off the rails, but everyone, you know, sometimes that shit happens and something great comes out of it that you weren't, you couldn't plan on, you couldn't expect. And that's where part of the magic comes in because it's dangerous. That's mm-hmm. the great thing about live performance. Shit can go wrong. Yep. Sometimes that's the best part. How many times have you, you know, you'll go to a show or something and be like, well, the show was really good, but this one thing happened. Oh, my God. And, yeah. that, and that, that becomes the moment of the show. Yeah, this is a little bit of a dark analogy. But these last three weeks, when I go to look at news, uh-huh. <laughs> I don't look for good news. I want to know the body count. Right. You know? And I think to some extent, like that's drastic. That's a drastic analogy. But to some extent, if you go to a show and you see something really, you know, so if you're the guy, let's say you're the guy up there and, and this has been, I've done this before. You're the guy up there who gets 15 minutes of silence and stares and people wandering away. Someone is still going to talk about that night. You feel like right. shit, but someone's going to, Oh my God, 
Yep. You know, I so even when you fail to some extent, you're 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 in someone's story. You know, I don't. Yeah. That may not be a redeeming way to look at it. Uh, but well, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a, a rock and roll horror story. Okay, give it to me. Right, so it's in a uh, in a band up here called Strange Toys, okay. and we go down to L.A. to do our first show um, at the Whiskey. Nice. We're, we're opening for um, a band called Candy, and Candy was. Um, Gilby Clark's band, Gilby, um, you know, ended up going to play with Guns N' Roses and a bunch of other stuff, yeah. but it's his band at the time. We're the opening band. There's our gear. We are so close to the front of the stage. We're practically toppling off of it. We're a large guitar, uh, guitar, vocals, bass, drums, and keys. Um, our keyboard player um, has a broken foot, so he's uh -oh. having to sit. He can't move. Right. I'm up near the front of the stage. We're doing the first song. And right as we're coming up to the guitar solo, of course, singer goes and hits his crash cymbal and it topples over and falls at such an angle that the cymbal hits a power, uh, a power cord, severs it, sparks fly. <laughs> Pyrotechnics. <laughs> and, all, and all the power on stage goes off right on the downbeat of the, the first note of my solo. I'm standing up on the stage at the whiskey, first show in Hollywood, and that happened. <laughs> this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, all right, here we go. That was, and yeah. So you couldn't recover from that one, right? That one. Well, no, actually, so what? We, I mean, we had to stop. I mean, and everybody saw what happened and was like, yeah. "Hey, you know." And so we took five minutes. And we got it fixed and picked up and continued the show. Nice. Yeah, it was nice. like. Yeah. Yeah, but but given that it was such a, an over the top moment, everybody would nobody was like oh yeah shitty about it. Yeah, yeah but yeah. it was definitely the kind of thing where you know uh, I don't remember the rest of that show. Yes, and not but that moment totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's one for the books for sure. So you said you've practiced or you played with numerous people. You mentioned um, Satriani. What what are some of the best tips you've got that have improved your guitar playing? All right, so um, some stuff from Joe, and then the, the guy that um, connected me up with Joe is a local guy named Doug Doppler. Okay. And Doug is still around. He teaches um, over in Berkeley and actually does stuff with uh, when Joe does his camps and uh, when Steve Vai does stuff, uh, Doug's there taking pictures and teaching okay. classes and stuff. And so both of them, number one, play with a metronome. Time is your best friend. And you need to, you need to practice with a metronome and you need to practice. Don't do anything faster than you can do it perfectly every single time. Uh, Joe fucking just, I only got four lessons with Joe, but he like nailed that one into me. Yeah. Um, and this thing was uh, playing a three, uh, three note per string patterns. And he said, all right, go home for a week and sit with a metronome and play every single scale in every single key and do it every day. Wow. And, that was a little bit of an chromatically up the whole neck. Uh, so actually, you you go through each scale. You go through the circle of fifths. So okay. I might start off in G major, then I go to C, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Okay. Um, so uh, came back the next week, and he goes, "So um, did you did you work on you know?" Uh, and I go, "Yeah." And he goes, "Think you got it?" And I go, "Yeah, I think I got it." Okay. He goes, "Okay, great. Do it in E flat." which as a guitar player is like, and that's a moment I want to go, fuck you. <laughs> you, you got to go down the neck. You got to go down to the, what, the 11th fret to do that one or? How? Yeah, so well, the whole thing was, um, so he said, so basically, yeah, with that, it's start on the 11th fret, go up and then yes. go all the way back down yeah, to yeah, yeah. the nut and all of it. I mean, just, comp so I'm playing it and um, I start doing it out of time and he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, look, I would rather sit here for an hour and hear you with a metronome go, dum, 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 and play every single note perfectly, then hear you botch it because you're trying to play it faster. He goes, yeah. more important. And he goes, and then he nailed this one. He goes, because here's the other thing, is that if you practice stuff faster than you can, than, than you can do it perfectly, mm -hmm. you'll make mistakes consistently at the same spot. He goes, so what you're gonna start doing is you start practicing your mistakes and then you learn your mistakes and your mistakes become your habits. Yeah. That's actually something I've actually taken that beyond my music. I've taken that into my standup with my kids and they were working on things in school and math and they would try yeah. to rush through their homework. I'd be going, no, 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 no. 
take your time, do it right. I fucking, I quote, I have quoted that yeah. in so many aspects of my life. Yeah. And then the same thing with, uh, with keeping time. Um, one, one day he's like, uh, all right, we're going to do a 12 bar blues. And, uh, so, you know, he counts it off. We're playing. Joe starts doing his Joe thing, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I completely lose where I'm at because I'm just staring at what he's doing. And he stops and he throws up his hands and he goes, that's it. I'm not jamming with you ever again until you learn how to count. And I was like, oh. Wow. And I'll tell you, I drove home tapping on my steering wheel. One, two, three, four, two, two, three. And after that, time and metric became my best friend and it got and I did it consistently enough so that all I did was um, you know it used to take me two hours to do every scale and every key got it down to 45 minutes and I could do it perfect yeah but that's, that's it, the discipline it's the work and that's the part that all I guess myself I'll call my I'll categorize myself obviously as a hobbyist that's the really unsexy nitty-gritty boring stuff mm-hmm. that it takes to achieve any kind of success in an instrument, any instrument. I mean, I'm talking right. in the context of guitar, but I'm sure the meticulous paying attention to every movement, um, you don't get to pass go and collect $200. Right. Unless you've done these very foundational things. And that was another thing that Joe hit on. He said, was when, when you're doing these things, because it's not music. You're not playing music. It's exercise. And you want to think about this. It's like you're going to the gym. You're, you're working out the muscles. When you're playing music, that's different. Yeah. And so it's, it, it gives it, so it puts it in, a, it, uh, it frames it differently for while you're doing it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome advice. Um, so you have children. Yep. So I have children too. Talk to me about that strain of being a performer, artist, but also coming home, being a dad. And then also I'm assuming you work straight jobs probably throughout the, your performing career too. Yeah. Um, totally. How did you um, balance all of that? Well, I mean, in terms of the, the strain, I mean, the one word that comes to mind is uh, divorce. Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll see what was interesting was um, when there was a period of time, like when my, when my daughter was born, I was still playing music, hadn't started doing standup yet. Um, and in fact, when uh, her mom and I split, it was shortly after that, I was in this band, I was in a metal band and we put out our record. It did nothing because it wasn't very good, aside from some tremendous guitar playing. Um, ah. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> totally. But so right after that, it was actually, um, I, I got into doing standup and so divorce and my, my daughter was sort of part of my act. And, and um, there were some times, uh, this is when I started hitting open mics down in North Hollywood and they were in coffee shops. And so every once in a while, when I had my daughter, I would bring her with me. Um, okay. So she had an interesting childhood and in that uh, she hung out at my open mics. Uh, cool. We were mixing our record out at Michael Cimbello's studio um, from uh, Michael Cimbello Flashdance fame. Uh, anyway so she's hung out in studios with like she doesn't remember any of it but (laughs) so um and then and it becomes the same kind of thing where when when it's dad time I do dad time yeah and uh uh, you know at that point I had uh I had a studio in my garage if I had her you know if it was the week that I had her once she went to bed I'd be out in the studio um and so it's you just sort of balance when you've got to do the one thing, you do the one thing. And when you can go do the other, you go do the other. And yeah. And when they and, and need no to rest. They, yeah. They, 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 they intermingle and, but being, um, but one of the things that was great about that was I was able to sort of model for her taking the time to do the things that you love and you care about yeah. and that you can, you can also still be a, a decent parent in, in the process. Um, at I the time of, my wife uh, that. When, uh, with my son in marriage number two, uh-huh. um, I actually, uh, I, I went through a big chunk, probably about 10, 12, maybe longer years where I didn't perform. I didn't play music. I didn't pick up my guitar. I didn't do anything. And it was horrible. Yeah. And, and I, and I think I can, I can realistically say, um, I was probably not as good of a parent because I wasn't I wasn't 
feeding that part of myself and that was a bad idea. Yeah. No, I, that's how, what I rationalize to my wife is I say, well, we're all whole people. We Mm -hmm. play these roles. We put these masks on, like, I got to be a dad. I got to be a husband. I got to be a tech worker, but there's other aspects too, you know, and my music hasn't been, I haven't been as committed to it as, as you are in the craft. That's just something I'm noodling on in the garage. And then comedy is like a couple nights a week. I'll go out. But what, the way I look at it is there's going to be a day where my kids are going to be working a straight job. Maybe it's not an ideal job. Maybe it's a job that they hate, but that's not their life. I think a lot of people, they fall into this trap um, that maybe you were describing where it's like, I'm this now. Right. And, And I'm not anything else. So if I'm not doing shuffling paperwork at work, then I'm not me anymore. But I, that to me, that feels like a, antiquated paradigm maybe it it feels like it's something from you know another generation where it's like oh we're waiting for the golden years absolutely but there's never a golden year i mean when you get old let's say you get a social security check but by then your dick hurts or your prostate hurts or something hurts and you may not be able to go out and do what you can do in your 30s and 40s um so yeah that's interesting that's it's very similar to how I rationalize things. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think you have to do those things. And I think it, I mean, in terms of relationships and assuming I ever have one again, um, um, I think it's important to, to be, you know, you want to find somebody who gets that and, and, and supports that and um, sees that it is an intrinsic part of what makes you, you. Yeah. And having been on the receiving end of somebody going, you need to sort of, you need to not do that anymore. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I have a, a, a line that where I, t- where I talk about um, the idea that somehow you, you growing up means that you don't do certain things anymore. Yeah. And my thought is, at what point did growing up become synonymous with giving up? Mm. The answer is it doesn't. Yeah. But I think that there is a concept, I think that there, or at least has been a belief system that says you get to a certain age and you, you know, what's the, the, the line about putting away childish things? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. I need my childish things. Yeah. Those, those are part of who I am. I think people forget what it's like to be a child. I think people forget, they, they forget how to play. Yes. And forget the magic that comes from being playful. Yeah. And that, not just in a kid way. It's great when you're playful with your partners too. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, and even though, you know, it's not even something that you have to look at as play. It's just a craft that I'm doing because I love mm-hmm. the, this particular craft. Right. Um, and, you know, c- call it call it whatever you want to call it. But it's something other than just these one or two things that you've agreed on uh, the ledger of society. Like, yes, I'll play this role. Well, I'm also mm-hmm. going to do these other things. Um, so, hey, you touched on you were doing comedy when you were at school, at music school, when, when for you did you kind of solidify that, oh, now I'm also going to focus on stand-up comedy and you started doing it more uh, repetitiously? So right, uh, again, right after um, uh, the band I was in, we were called Red Satter, we'd um, put out a CD. Um, we're talking about doing the second one. Everything basically fell apart. At that point, I was really, really disillusioned with, with, mm-hmm music industry just I was fed up with it disappointment etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, went in my studio I recorded about five tunes and then I took my guitar and I stuck it in its case and I closed it probably didn't pick it up for like a year or two mm-hmm. and I'd always thought about doing stand-up obviously like actually doing it instead of just messing around with it and a week later in the LA Weekly there was a full page ad about taking a comedy class out of the improv and I went okay there <laughs> and so I signed up for that like on the spot okay. and that was and that's where it started and I started doing that class um, and then it was like oh you you know people are like how do we work this stuff out and I'm like I've heard about these things called open mics yeah and yeah. I think you can go do those and I found this place in North Hollywood called the kindness of strangers it was really great and I started working on stuff there and that's where I met I mean, a lot, you wouldn't, the number of people that came through that place, uh, Maria Bamford came through there. That's oh, where nice. I met Hal Sparks, I um, another buddy named Chris Bono, uh, Jim Coughlin. Um, I mean, we, we had this great little community for the number of years that that place was around and then it ended up closing, unfortunately. But okay. 
a bunch of us are still, you know, we're all still in touch. A few years back, we did a reunion show at the, the comedy store. Um, nice. You know, it was pretty much us and all of our friends, but it was like, you know, uh, it was just, it was a blast. And that's, I spent several years where I was meticulously and regularly hitting mics and, you know, um, started doing shows and, um, you know, was doing the ice house, uh, was doing the store, you know, all that kind of stuff. And actually got myself some representation for a short period of time, did a, a few road gigs. Um, in fact, I actually did, uh, I did the punchline. I found the videotape. I uh, did the punchline. What was it in 96? <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I remember that the gig went pretty good and I found the videotape and I haven't had the nerve to watch it because I don't want to find out I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let that memory just live on. Right. <laughs> you don't want to find any contradi contradictory yeah. evidence. What, how has the scene changed since then? Um, I mean, I can't, I can't really speak to what it was like up here at the time. Down yeah. in LA, it was certainly... Um, I remember it being uh, less regimented and less, I mean, it was a business, but it was, I don't know, there was something, I guess it reminded me more of how the scene seems to be up here, where okay. pe I think people were there, the, the community was a lot more supportive of each other. Okay. Um, I don't find that necessarily to be the case down there as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm very grateful. I, I, there's a lot of us doing it here in um, the Bay Area, but I don't feel that there's, you know, cattiness or politics. Of course, I'm so, I'm so new that probably I'm just not seeing some things. But, you know, I've got my cliques and my friends that I hang out with, and it seems like everyone I bump into is pretty, you know, if not supportive, they're at least nice. Everyone's cordial with each other. Yeah, everybody's pretty – everybody – I mean, I find it to be a really supportive community. I, I'm yeah. – uh, I love it. <laughs> Me too. I miss everyone. I miss everyone, totally. which is, let's, let's delve into the next topic I want to cover with you. And, you know, everyone who's been on the podcast in the last three weeks, I brought this up. I'm sure, I don't know, I hope the two people that listen to this podcast aren't getting sick of me talking about Hi, it. Hi, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, what is your take? So I was watching another uh, a band that I really like. Um, in the 90s. I never got to see them live, but Fugazi. And I okay. was recently watching uh, some footage of their 90s touring. And I was looking at how people were all crammed in. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about where we do our art form in dive bars and everything. And I go, the last three weeks have kind of like, just totally exploded this notion of going to CD places and performing, whether you're a stand-up comic, an open mic comic, a band. How do you see um, live performance emerging from this, whatever we're in right now? Um, I, Have you I, thought I, about it, I guess? is a, Yeah, no, I've totally thought about it. Um, yeah. I, I think uh, my guess is it'll start off slow and small. Um, I think people are going to, some people are going to be anxious to get out again. Yeah. And there are going to be some people that will be much more afraid of what interaction is going to be like. I think a lot of it will, will really depend on what is the nature of, you know, of, of the virus at the time that we start going back out. If it's still sort of this, you know, we're not sure exactly who's got it, who doesn't, there's going to be a lot more caution. But if there happen to be tests or potential vaccines or things in place that can create um, a sense of security that, hey, I know that I'm not going to die by going to a show then um, I think those kinds of things will make a difference as to how quickly people become willing to get back out there. Yeah. But it'll probably be slow and small, and then people will begin to get more comfortable. That level of comfort, much like immunity, will sort of like spread out through the herd, yeah. and more and more people start to show up, and then we'll get right back to the same old violence and shooting like we've always had. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Oh, man, that's true. I did read an article, like I said, I always search for the bad news. Mm -hmm. And you know in America with the amount of guns that we have, it was just a matter of time before cabin fever started uh, leading to homicide. And right. there was a guy who shot his neighbors or something. I forget which state it was in. But I go, I, this is Florida. interesting. Had to be Florida. Had to be Florida. You know <laughs> what? How is it we aren't hearing about Florida having a major outbreak or looking like New York when they were still having spring break, people were flying there. 
I can't. Um, I'd seen some maps that supposedly there was a massive outbreak, but okay. a lot of it, I mean, that's one of the things is there's so, there's so many inconsistencies mm. that it, half the time you're like, is this true? Is it not true? Who reported yeah. it? What, I mean. Yep. I, I try to, to just go to WHO and CDC. Like mm. that's what I'll do every day. I'll just go there and see if they have any like new guidelines or new news as far as Right. I was being able to go out and about, but then every few days it's like, oh, CNN, MSNBC, even I'll even dip my toe into Fox for a moment to see, oh, what's take <laughs> on this, you know, just because I'm looking for the sensationalism, which I All think, right. you know, I I don't know how to turn this into a joke, but ultimately, if you're getting your news from a source that also has a banner ad for toenail fungus, <laughs> it's probably not a legitimate news agency, <laughs> and you should move on. Right. But, you know, they're the ones writing the really sensational stuff that, you know, give you interesting talking points or even like interesting joke ideas. Well, I mean, Anderson Cooper, who I generally think is a, a fairly competent reporter, he definitely seems to, I mean, I, I hear him every once in a while and he seems to just always be looking for, so you, you need to tell us about how we're all going to die. Because yeah. he might be interviewing somebody and they'll, they'll throw out something positive and he'll like pivot and go, but yeah, we're all still going to die, right? <laughs> And yeah. that's really great that you have a positive spin, but I'm trying to sell here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's human condition. It's, yeah, it's, and I don't know if you've had a chance to watch Louis C.K.'s latest special. Not yet, but it, I, I totally want to. I, I, so I watched it. It was definitely good. I think anyone yeah. doing comedy should definitely watch it. But halfway through, I mean, this one's dark. I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but this, his special is... There's two things I really appreciate about what he did with this special. Number one, he addressed the incident. And I think right. the way he addressed it is the best way anyone could have addressed it. And then the number two thing is he's hosting it on his website. So you just have to give your whatever PayPal or credit card and then you, you just download it, which with stand-up comedy, I don't know why more comics aren't doing this. I mean, it's a direct to audience type uh, medium. Right. And I, I think just from a business perspective, like he's not now beholden to HBO or Netflix mm -hmm. or whoever else. He's just like, I know I have some fans. And so here's my special. So I really like that he, that he did that. Um, but where I was going with this is it's like, I, I'm kind of, I'm a, I like dark humor. I like the macabre. The macabre makes me laugh. Like yeah, I no, said, me too. yeah, the, the news, I look for these articles that just, you know, totally confirm my, my the sky is falling falling type attitude right now but um but i was kind of thinking like do i sound like that when i do comedy because <laughs> oof, this was this was a here's how i'll put it it's like you know i love train spotting i i thought requiem for a dream was a great movie but you walk away from it and you're kind of like oh that was that was a little icky <laughs> watching yeah, that I, movie when that was over i needed a shower exactly that's right. That's the feeling I had after uh, I watched that. But you know, what is com what do they say? Comedy is tragedy plus no comedy. Uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy or something right. like that. So um, yeah, I don't know how I got on that on that topic. But yeah, oh, it's all dark news because that's mm -hmm. what humans want. They want death and destruction and hopelessness. And um, I think comedians. We it makes kinda, you feel better. It makes you feel better. It validates all the pessimisms you have. But I think what we do as comedians is we're supposed to take all of that same pessimism, but then make you laugh about it. Well, I mean, because I, well, I think part of that is it, it kind of helps pop the balloon, you know? Yeah. Um, if because the, the fears and, and anger and the anguish and all that stuff, th those feelings are all very real. Yeah. Um, and they're and they're and they're well founded. But if you can laugh about it it takes the sting away and sometimes you're then able to, you can process it better and you can deal with it better. Yeah. And that's where to me, I think great comedy can actually, you know, talking about the things that make people uncomfortable and finding a way to, to make it funny, no matter how horrible it is, makes it easier to deal with. Yeah. And that's to me is, that's a, a, one of the positives that I think comedy brings to, to the world. Right. So, you know, we're saviors, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. The warrior <laughs> poet who's talking about the shittiest totally. things. Mm -hmm. How do you, what do you, what does your writing process look like for comedy? Um, me huddled in a corner. That's what it looks like. No, yeah. um, <laughs> um, 
it's really, it, it changes all the time. I mean, sometimes okay. I will just be, I do a lot of writing um, when I drive or now if I'm just out on my bike or something, mm -hmm. I will just, I will think about something and I will almost begin to like have a conversation about it in my head. And as that happens, just something will, will pop out and I go, oh, there's something funny. Yeah. And it's, uh, and so whether, whether it's on the bike or in the car, I'll like, I'll grab my phone. And I'll just like, you know, make a voice memo. Nice. Um, or sometimes something, you know, I just hear something and I think of something that is that just strikes me as funny. Nice. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm never, I've never been somebody like I, I've got friends that they can sit down, they'll take a pad of paper and they have their time of the day. They will sit down and they go and write. And I've yeah. never been able to do that. If I do that, I will get nothing. Yeah. No, the blank page is a, it's a dreadful, I try to be, I'm trying to be that guy. I like to sit down and I'll find throughout the week. I try to at least three or four times a day. I'll try and say this hour mm -hmm. is me typing or even writing. I have a journal where I'll mm -hmm. write it up, but mostly just type. This is me typing out stuff that I think is funny that I've thought about this week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hard. And most of the time it's incoherent jibber jab, which I think for new comics, that's just a, that's a normal thing. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, probably if you were to crack open the first three years of any given comics journal, you'd be like, what, what, where was this thought even going? I don't know. I've done that. I've dug, dug through stuff and I've, you know, spent the last couple of weeks, I've been digging a bunch of junk out of boxes and I found some old notes and I'm standing, I'm reading, I'm going, what was I even think this? Yeah, makes, yeah. There's nothing about this that I don't even know how the vowels and consonants got in the right order. What is, oh. Do you, do you do, do you write song lyrics too? Huh? Do you write song lyrics also or no? Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. So what's harder? Putting together, uh, let's say, a couple new jokes or writing a song? Writing a song for yeah. me. Um, but I think some of that is, um, I haven't done a lot of lyric writing. Mm -hmm. um, I've spent most of my music time has, has been, you know, writing music yeah. um, with some working on lyrics. So it's, it's um, but it, it is the, with, a, with a song, I'll typically end up approaching the lyrics when the music is done. And so I may have like a topic or a title that I'll work from. And if, I, if the music is done, then I can listen to the, the song. If I can, I can listen to the music and the lyrics will start to fill themselves in. Interesting. I heard a pretty crazy tip. I heard Nikki six on a podcast. I forget which podcast, but he was talking, I guess he wrote the majority of the lyrics. Oh yeah. He wrote the majority um, of everything for that band. Yeah. And he said, um, so the guy in the podcast asked him about writer's block and how did, how did he write so many prolific songs? And he said, he was like so confident. I've never heard a writer of any medium say this so confidently. He goes, there is no writer's block. He goes, if I were to sit down and write a song and nothing was in my head, I would grab a dictionary, flip it open and point to a word whatever word it lands on, I start writing about that word. Wow. And he, so he said, I was just always able to come up with, you know, lyrics or verses or whatever using that. Well, he said, most of the time I had something I was thinking about, but anytime I didn't, I was still able to write, mm -hmm. which I thought was really interesting because it's kind of similar to that. Um, well, it's not similar, but it's, I, I think it has some of the same methods as that cut up technique, you know, where, I forget what beat poets they would just take their old journals and William cut. Burroughs did Burroughs. that. Burroughs. There yeah. you go, Burroughs. In fact, with Naked Lunch, when he wrote Naked yeah. Lunch, supposedly, I mean, that guy, he was whacked out on heroin. Yep. Apparently, uh, yeah, he had like written, like completely written pages and he went and cut them up and just retaped them together in random yep. order. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And now, and now, and that's, it's circled right back around to, he's just a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> A curator of words, not a writer. Exactly. Cool, man. All right, so I got a, la I got a last question. It's a two-part question. All right. Um, from one guitarist to the next. Do you still suffer from, after all your years of guitar, do you still have a bit of gear acquisition syndrome? And if so, what kind of stuff would you want to buy right now if money <laughs> an object? Oh. That is, um, that is a never ending disease ever. Yeah. There is, yeah. there is never enough guitars. 
there is always, oh, that one, God, that's, I mean, sometimes it's even, God, look at the maple top on that. I have yeah. to have Oh, yeah. I mean, um, actually, I just, uh, uh, I, I would, uh, I really, really want um, uh, the new um, Ed O'Brien signature Strat. I want that something fierce. Yeah. Um, huge fan of Ed O'Brien. I think the guy's an amazing player. Right. Um, and I've played one and it's this great thing. Are you familiar with what that, what that model is? Um, I'm sure I've looked at it because I'm through all the catalogs all the time, but it's so, not, it's not ringing a bell. bell. What, what so, is it again? Um, so um, he's, uh, the pickup configuration is, I mean, it's got the three single coils, like a, um, a classic Strat would, right. but um, the, the bridge position um, and all of you non-guitar people out here, you're going to have to watch me nerd out for a minute. No, um, let's do it. That it's a, 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 JB, a Jeff Beck Jr. So it's a, a, basically a humbucker, you know, sized down to a single coil. But the neck position is a, a Sustaniac. Um, I don't okay. know if you're familiar with what I'm not familiar with that. Okay, so Sustaniac, unbelievably cool. Okay. So it basically, it creates a magnetic field around the string so that when you play it, it's con it will make the string constantly vibrate. And so the note will play. Yes. And then you can actually, you can switch it. So it can either be the root note or it can be like a, 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 the, the fifth harmonic or an octave harmonic. And mm -hmm. so you can use it to make these incredibly, it's great for making soundscapes or yeah. you can do very violin kind of uh, stuff with it. It's very the, cool. I, I'm familiar with the concept from this, um, they, they called it the guitar bow or something. The e What's that? Ebo. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you could get a violin sound from your guitar. Those things were insane. I could never get one to work. I tried to mess. Oh my God. I tried to uh, yeah. never. It was always like, nope, not working. So uh, the Spaniac does that and you don't need to like hold this other thing in your hand and hold it at just the right level at just the right angle over the string. Okay. Um, yeah. No, those things are amazing. Satriani and Vi use them all the time. Okay. But Ed O'Brien does great stuff with it. He actually, he creates these really lush soundscapes and he uses that as a, as a means to do it. Unbelievably cool. So that's high on the list. Okay. But um, I, I, uh, I, Breed Love is, a, is an acoustic guitar brand yep. that I recently found. Amazing stuff. I could just, I could pick up a bunch of those. Um, nice. Are you familiar with Tom Anderson Guitar Works? Um, I don't think so. No. Tom Anderson is a small company actually out in Newberry Park. Amazing. I could buy, I could buy those all day long. Nice. But, uh, um, and I would love to like go back and get some old vintage Marshalls. Um, mm. I've, I've never had like a great old vintage Marshall. I've always had, um, are you familiar with Bogner amplification? Yeah. Yeah. Bogner. I know okay, that so, name. <laughs> all right. So you're welcome. Um, yeah. I'm the guy that uh, I used to manage a music store in North Hollywood. We owned Bogner back when it was Reinhold and his partner in their living room. I moved them out of their living room and created the whole amp company. It was the GM for a year. So, um, Oh, you know, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, they owe me a grit of datitude. Those nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, there's always things. It's interesting you're mentioning soundscape because I feel like, so you talked about the guitar solo being played out, technical guitar, like who's, other than other guitarists, who's really listening to technical guitar players in this day and age of? Well, some of it is actually, I mean, there's a bit of a resurgence. I mean, certainly it's more metal based, but I mean, you've yeah. got, um, and a lot of those getting more incorporated within songs. I mean, um, Joe Satriani just put out, a, uh, put out a new record this last weekend. It's really, really good, okay. um, but it's also more understated. Steve Vai is still huge doing stuff. Right. Um, um, but you get guys like Richie Kotzen, who does a multitude of different bands. Amazing player, phenomenal singer. And so he's taken that element of, of his guitar playing, but incorporates it into really great songs. Okay. Really, really great. They're heavier rock, but huge R&B influence. Guy's soulful as a motherfucker on vocals. And then he'll have these amazing, you know, solo sections where like with uh, his band, the Winery Dogs, it was him, Billy Sheehan and Mar uh, Mike Portnoy from, uh, from Dream Theater on drums. It's a oh, three wow. piece. Fucking and they would do these huge sections of just amazing improvisational music. So a lot of that stuff is still there. Um, okay. But it's just rather than it being an instrumental record, um, it's within the context of a song and it's less 
it's more about the song and it's more how it's incorporated into the music rather than just a wang fest. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Cause I think, I think the way the, I, I hate to say this, but I think the way the mainstream ear and the mainstream taste have gone is mm-hmm. um, I think EDM has had such this overwhelming thing that's mm-hmm. happened that having, if you can make your guitar also have these soundscape type um, feels through a song, mm-hmm. it might be more palatable to you know, so, mainstream audiences. See, I've actually, I mean, um, I fell in love with electronic music way back before there, uh, are you familiar with Tangerine Dream? Uh, so I know the name, but I'm trying to think of their, I, I'm not familiar with the sound, no. So uh, they, I mean, I, I learned about them. They started doing soundtracks. Um, like they did the soundtrack for the movie Sorcerer, which okay. was uh, the movie that William Friedkin did, Exorcist. Um, they did the soundtrack for the movie Thief. Really cool um, kind of stuff that if you listen to them, you can sort of see, like, it's sort of like going back and listening to Muddy Waters and listen mm. to blues players today. So there's a definite through line. Um, and I've always thought it'd be great to add that kind of heavier guitar stuff to that, which in some ways, I mean, you could argue that Nine Inch Nails is, is a little bit yeah. of that. You know? yeah. So, but yeah, but EDM is definitely, um, there's something great about the syncopation of it. A lot of new metal stuff um, that's very uh, clearly it's it's all you know uh, computer generated mm-hmm. um, so you get that really tight syncopated drum stuff there's stuff being done on you know on double kick that i'm sorry it's not humanly possible yeah um, but it's a, a direct result of that and to me that's a, an intersection of those those kinds of things yeah yeah so that's that's kind of a sound that i've been trying to figure out mm-hmm. uh with you know i i have a little line six thing here that has however many different effects and ways to tweak things so there is a way using effects pedals to get these like dreamy sounds coming out of your guitar mm-hmm. and then you can play your normal guitar riffs or melodies over it. Um, but yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned soundtracks because I'm a big fan of um, just, you know, shows or movies with really good soundtracks. Yeah. Me and Faco talk about this a lot because Faco is also a, a fan of, of soundtracks and just instrumental stuff, whether it be hip hop, mm-hmm. rock and roll, whatever. Um, and the, you know, what, you know, what show really sparked my love for kind of, I I don't know what the term you would use to call it like eighties synth type soundtrack is stranger Mm. things. Oh yeah. Man, that score is so amazing. Amazing. I love that score. Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, uh, when we're done, go YouTube, YouTube Tangerine dream. Okay. Um, I'm writing and it down. Right the soundtrack now. for the movie Thief. Okay. And the soundtrack for the movie Sorcerer. You okay. will you will fucking love it. I okay. Guarantee it. You'll be yeah. Great stuff. Okay. I'm and writing t- all that down. Totally, right now. totally in, in line with the Stranger Things stuff is yeah, huge fat analog sounding keyboards. Yes. And, there it is. Yeah. To the point where after this last season. Like, I can't, I don't have the time or the money for one more instrument, but I was like Googling yeah. around synth. How do I get into synth? What, what can I do to get started? How much they cost? And, you know, so it's... What kind of computer do you have? Well, I, I got them all. I'm in the tech and I have PC. I'm, we're doing this from a PC, but I have Mac. Okay. And, um, all right. So do, do you have GarageBand? Uh, yes, I have GarageBand. Okay. You, it's, you can totally create what you want to do in GarageBand. If you That's open true. GarageBand. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, for a while I've been doing this just on my typing keyboard because um, my other keyboard uh, was stashed away someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are key, there are um, patches in GarageBand. If you use the arpeggiators, there's different things that are right. rhythmic. You can then just uh, create one of their drummer tracks and just grab a yep. drummer, create the beat. And if so, you can set the uh, the drummer um, to follow whatever instrument you can create. You can create exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And you can play the stuff. Um, I don't like, I don't even remember what the chord was, but I just remember I was playing, um, a D and H and a K on my keyboard. <laughs> wow. You know so, what? Yeah, it's totally I, there. I started to get into that and then I kind of started messing around, putting more time into my guitar rig to see. And that's when I got this beat buddy thing, but I was using the drummer and you can go in and just generate different 
kind of drum fills and drum. Uh, I've got a, I've got genres. a couple. Of, I have a couple of short, like two to three minute pieces that I've messed with. I'll send them to you. Just you can hear me. Sweet. Uh, an example. No guitars. It's just all shit that I did. Yeah. In Garage Band because it was two o'clock in the morning. I had nothing else to do. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, Brian, this has been an awesome podcast. I appreciate uh, your time. I know given the, the day and age that we're in, you probably don't have, do you have anything to promote? Is there anything you want to talk about where you're going to be? Um, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. I not feel yet. happy. <laughs> um, uh, yes. I'm promoting that um, eventually soon I will get out of the house. Yeah. Careful when it happens. Um, yeah. No, but uh, the, when stuff comes up, I will certainly be uh, po uh, promoting. Actually, well, hopefully there's a tune that I'm working on. It is a, uh, a very straight ahead rock and roll tune um, mm -hmm. that I hope to have done within the next few weeks. Um, it's called a Six Foot Long Distance Love Affair. And uh, right. that will be coming out to a SoundCloud near you. Nice. Great. Well, Brian, thank you very much for the time. And, yeah, thanks uh, for having me, man. This was a blast. Yeah, this was good. This is good. I'll stop the recording and then we can chat for just a yeah. minute after this too. No, I'm done.